Well, good morning, H2O. It is good to be here with you all today. And today uh, we're going to pick up in our Sermon on the Mount series. Um, but, you know, yesterday we got to see Ohio State win. Alabama almost lost. So, I mean, depending on how you feel about that there, you know. So it was a close game, great game. Don't know if you watched it. Um, but yeah, if you don't know me, my name is Caleb, and I'm on staff here with H2O. And I've lived in Athens now for about a year and a half, and I've been married to my beautiful wife, Abby, for a little over five years now. Um, and we have a Bernese mountain dog named Brutus. He's very cute, but he's very shy, so I'm sorry you will probably never get to pet him, ever. So it's unfortunate, but, you know, when I'm around, he acts like a normal dog. When other people are around, he's scared. That's just the way he is. Um, but like I said, we're going to be continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series, um, picking up right where we left off last week. And if you weren't here for the first two weeks, here's just a brief summary of what we went through. Uh, in week one, we talked about the Beatitudes. It talks about, um, you know, essentially the type of person that Jesus expects us to be as followers of him. And, you know, it talks about being meek, hunger and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, and just, just to name a few of them. That, that's kind of the things that it talks about us, and, and, and it says we will be blessed if we are those things. Um, and then the second week, we saw, you know, how our actions are supposed to be viewed by the world around us, you know, being salt and light, and that we are supposed to look different to the world around us, and we're supposed to shine that light out there through our actions. Um, so our actions should cause others to see what God is doing in us. And so as, as Christians, we should stand out. And a lot of this comes from living out those Beatitudes. And so we'll see that Jesus is building upon uh, his, his sermon. It's going incrementally in steps. Um, but this brings us to today's text, which is in Matthew chapter 5. Um, and Liz, you can go ahead and come on up. And so we're going to have Liz read Matthew 5 through 17 through 20 for us. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, I believe it's page 473 if you're using one of those blue Bibles. Uh, but yeah, we're going to have Liz read Matthew 5, 17 through 20. So give, it, give Liz a hand here. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Thanks, Liz. Appreciate you reading that for us today. Um, so this that's our text for today. It's very short and very sweet, but it's also jam-packed with meaning and also challenge for us. You know, I saw one church spent four weeks just on these four verses here. So they, they went into a lot of depth. And, and I think there is a lot for us to digest here today, and we're not going to be able to get into all of it because we'd be here for a very long time. And you probably don't want to listen to me talk for four hours, right? Um, I don't know. Maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you do. Um, so there's a lot for us here. And, and for our note takers out there, just to give you a little uh, vision for where we're going, we got three main points and three application questions. So type A people, 
there you go. There you go. That's the layout for you. Uh, you know where we're going. And we're just going to dive right into point number one, which is Jesus fulfills the law and does not do away with it. And I know that sounds very similar to exactly what the text says right there. Uh, but what, do we, what are we actually saying? What do we mean when we're saying Jesus fulfills the law? And what is his relationship to the law and the prophets here? Um, and if you grew up in the church, you might have heard this text or heard that Jesus fulfills the law. Uh, but you might not have known what it meant because no one really described what that means for you. And, and when we're talking about Jesus fulfilling the law, I think we can mean one of several different things. Um, and I know that can be confusing, but we're just going to walk through it step by step together. And first, it means that Jesus lives out predictive prophecies from the Old Testament. Jesus lives out predictive prophecies, okay? And um, one brief example of this is Micah 5.2 talks about how the, the ruler from the Ancient of Days will come from Bethlehem. And so we know that uh, from the gospel accounts that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So we see that through Jesus' life, that predictive prophecy is lived out. And I don't think that's particularly difficult for us to understand because we probably traditionally think of fulfillment in this sense. But the second form is that Jesus fills out the law, okay? He helps us to get back to the heart and the original meaning of the law. And we'll see this especially in the coming weeks of the Sermon on the Mount. I think we'll see Jesus do this a lot with the scribes and Pharisees. And, and, and a lot of the, especially the next two weeks, we'll see this with um, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is uh, getting us back to the original meaning of them. And for example, in, in verse 21 of Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And so this is referencing to Old Testament about uh, the laws against murder. And I think we can all say that's probably a good law to have, right? You know, don't murder other people. Um, so I think we can all get behind that. And we understand that one. Um, but, but, you know, Jesus after this also makes a, I also say to you statement, okay? And some people question, is, is Jesus correcting the law? What is he doing with that? And, and why is he uh, saying this? Um, but when Jesus says, but I say to you, he, he's not correcting the Old Testament. Uh, and Jesus is not doing away with this rule. Jesus is correcting the scribes and the Pharisees' expansion upon different laws. And we have different examples of this. Um, there were rules about how you could, how much weight you could carry on the Sabbath. Okay, it was they decided upon you know a, a certain size bundle of figs. I don't know how they decided upon that was the weight, but they said that was a burden and that was how much it was. Or for example, they said you know you could only write two letters with each hand. Different different rules like that that they created. Um, again. Don't know how they landed upon that, but those were the expansions upon the Old Testament that you would see. Um, and, and so, like I said, what we're seeing in Jesus do in, in the coming weeks is bring the people back to the heart of what the law truly means and not these expansions that we see from the scribes and the Pharisees. And the, and the heart of the Sabbath or the day of rest is not to, to put on the burden of all these extra rules, but to rely on God and be holy and, and look back to who God is. And the purpose for the law of not murdering others is not just that it's good for society uh, and it's the right thing to do, but it also uh, is, is respecting that others are made in God's image and have inherent dignity and worth. And, and so I think we see churches do similar things to what the scribes and the Pharisees did to uh, the Old Testament as well. You know, we'll see churches saying that if you believe in Jesus and if you give us $50 a month, you will be healthy and wealthy, right? That, that's what we see some churches say. 
But this is not what we see in the gospel, and this is not what we see in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us that we will suffer at times and that we will have hardships. And we see that in the Beatitudes. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for my sake, right? We, we see Jesus telling us times are not always easy. We will not always be successful in, in the business world or anything like that. We're not always going to be wealthy. We're not always going to be healthy. We also see churches reduce the gospel and the message to politics or a culture war. And this is, the gospel is bigger than politics. The gospel is bigger than a culture war. And if everything we do, everything we say is focused on a political party or trying to change something in the culture and not the gospel and the mission God has for us, then we are reducing what the gospel has and calls us to do, not, uh, not the true uh, meaning of it. And to be clear, the Bible definitely has things that speak to our um, culture and speak to how we should interact with politics. That's definitely in there. But this shouldn't be our sole focus in our lives. And third, we also see churches do this when they relax God's morality for us, when they relax God's morality for us. They lower the expect expectations that God has for his people. These churches think, okay, they'll say, you know, this was written in a different context, and therefore it does not apply to us, and, and you know, context is important, but then they'll say, well, we see this was written a long time ago, and you see they don't really understand what's happening in our culture, and they couldn't have foreseen this thing, and they'll say things like that. Uh, but, but, you know, really, we see that these principles do still apply to us, and if Bi the Bible truly is God's word, then it is enduring, and we cannot relax the expectations God has for us in our lives. We can't modify or reduce God's word. And this is what we see Jesus doing. He is helping to bring correction to what the scribes and Pharisees are doing. So the third way that Jesus fulfills the law is Jesus's fulfillment is the fact that all the Old Testament points to Jesus. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. You know, the Old Testament anticipates Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And, and I think this is the primary way that Matthew is using this term fulfill. That's the primary way he uses it. And Matthew uses this term more than any other New Testament author that is out there. And so just a, a brief example of how Jesus fulfills something in the Old Testament we might not normally think of is the year of Jubilee, okay? And if you don't know what the year of Jubilee is, it's a special year in which uh, indentured servants were freed, debts were forgiven, and there was feasts and special services and things that they would do. And I mean, I think we can understand that. If, you know, my mortgage was forgiven, I'd probably be pretty excited. And then I'd say, oh, let's have a party at my house, right? You know, I think... I think that's what I would do. I think you would do that too, right? Um, uh, but what we see here is that Jesus is, is the point of the year of Jubilee. It points us to Jesus, right? Because Jesus has forgiven us a greater debt than a financial debt. Jesus has forgiven our spiritual debt. He has, he has paid off this debt that we cannot work off. No matter how much we do, how many righteous actions we take, we cannot pay the debt. But Jesus forgives us this infinite debt. It is relieved. And then we are free, just like this year of Jubilee. So we see the Old Testament, it's pointing to Jesus. And so to point this out a little bit more, I've, I've got a picture for us. So the first image is, it's a zoomed-in picture. And so as you can see, it looks like a lot of dots, right? It just looks like a weird, grainy picture of dots. And you're probably wondering, why did Caleb put this on the screen? And that's a fair question, okay? And so what this is, this is a zoomed-in section of a pointillist painting, okay? And if you don't know what pointillism is, it's just where the artist will make very small brush strokes or dots uh, to make a bigger 
image. And so what we see here is that these uh, smaller dots are like individual pieces of the Old Testament, okay? And sometimes when they're isolated and not looking at the fuller image, it's hard to understand what is the picture. I mean, if you tried to guess what the picture is right now, you probably have no idea, right? How, how can you tell what that is? And then, Lisa, if you just want to go ahead and zoom out. And then we see it's like a seascape, right? There's, there's the ocean, there's mountains, there's like a little bit of a dock there. And so when we zoom out in the lens of Jesus, we can see the fuller picture of the Old Testament, okay? So, so the, the individual pieces are like those smaller dots that we zoomed into, and then when we look at it through the lens of Jesus, we can now see the full seascape picture. So this is what Jesus allows us to see in the Old Testament. So Jesus fulfills the law by uh, living out Old Testament predictive prophecy, bringing us back to correct understanding, and that it all points to him ultimately. But we also see that Jesus makes a uh, comment to, to really focus on that he does not abolish the law. And, and so literally it means that he does not rip down it, he does not destroy, demolish, or overthrow it. And if you're familiar with Matthew, you know that Jesus talks about destruction of the temple, and that happened in about 70 AD. Um, and this is the same terminology he uses about the temple. The temple will be ripped down, it will be destroyed. It's the exact same wording. Um, and so we see that Jesus is saying that he doesn't unhitch us from the Old Testament and he does not get rid of the Old Testament. He, he's not doing that here. He's very clear. And there are theologians who over time have tried to say this text is Jesus getting rid of the Old Testament. He is saying we don't need to follow it anymore. There are people who have tried to work that around, but I just don't see how you can get there, right? Jesus says not a dot, not an iota, not the smallest amount will pass away. Not the smallest piece, piece will pass away. And Jesus says it won't pass away until heaven and earth pass away either, right? And so we can say that has not happened, right? We're still here. And so I think we can clearly say that Jesus has not gotten rid of the law. So, and I think if we think about the broader context of what Jesus' ministry is, we can see that it would make sense why Jesus needs to say this. Because the Pharisees and scribes would often accuse Jesus of not following things in the Old Testament. They would say, you're violating the Sabbath by healing people because they had rules against healing people. You could make sure people didn't die, but you couldn't like move them in the positive direction, you know, because it was de deemed as work on the Sabbath. So they would say, Jesus, you're you're, you, know, you are violating this rule that we have. Um, um, but, but we see that they're accusing Jesus of being anti-law, and Jesus is correcting this. He is saying, no, 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 I have a high view of the Old Testament, and I follow it. So he, he is saying that I have this high view of the Old Testament. And this brings us to main point number two. We need to live out morality of the law and the prophets. And here Jesus is, is affirming this need to follow the morality outlined in the Old Testament. So I would challenge you, if you have not read the Old Testament, to, to try and read it, okay? And Jesus is saying that we have this, he has this high view, so we also should mirror this high view of the Old Testament. Um, and we need to do this in community together. We need to get together with people from our groups, get together with our friends, and read the Old Testament together. And Because I'm sure we'll have questions and things we don't understand. But that, that's one of the purposes of community is that we can help each other and fill in our misunderstandings. And we can also hold each other accountable and correct each other when we're wrong. Obviously doing this out of love for one another. Uh, but we also need to challenge each other to be holy as well. Now, I know probably the question for many of us, if we have familiarity with the Bible, we might think, 
Um, you know, I don't see anyone following the sacrificial system anymore. I don't see you guys eating kosher all the time. So, so why are you guys not doing that? And, and this is true. We don't do those things. Um, and we have reasons for that, too. Um, but something Jesus is not doing here, Jesus is not giving us an exhaustive way to interpret all the Old Testament, okay? He is responding to this context where people are accusing him of not uh, having a good view of the Old Testament, okay? He's not giving us this full hermeneutic or this full system, systematic methodology to understanding all of the Old Testament. Um, and part of this, I think, it's easy to understand because not all of Jesus' life has happened yet, right? He has not died on the cross. He has not rose again. And if you read the gospel accounts, you can see that his disciples often get confused when he's like, I have to die. And then Peter's like, no, you don't. I'll die for you, you know, type of thing. So they just didn't quite get it yet. And we don't really see them understand until after Jesus is resurrected, right? So I think it could make sense why Jesus didn't want to explain everything to uh, them at that moment. Um, and something that's also important, when we're looking at the Bible, we don't want to ask a question that it's not seeking to answer, okay? And I don't think Jesus is seeking to answer, how do I interpret all of the laws in the Old Testament after Jesus' resurrection? I don't think that's what he's trying to say here. Um, but but as, we, as we do this, we need to make sure we're not asking questions the Bible isn't seeking to answer in a passage. And also something when we're preaching is we want to try to make the main point of the text, the main point of the sermon. And so I, I don't want to spend too much time on how we interact with, in the, with the Old Testament now, but I can give you some general quick principles that we'll briefly talk about. And, and if you want to talk about this more, I'd, I'd encourage you to talk with your group leader, talk with me, talk with Joe, and we can, we can talk about it more. Um, but I, I think as we're reading the Old Testament, we need to think about, are there certain roles that Christ is currently taking the place of? Are there certain roles Christ is taking the place of? So we see this with the priestly role, right? Jesus is our greater high priest. So we don't need priests to be the mediator between us and God the Father because Jesus takes that role for us. Jesus very clearly de declares all food clean so we don't have to follow dietary restrictions as well. Um, and we also see that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He's blameless. He did not sin. And he is the ultimate sacrifice that actually paid the price for sins and the other ones just pointed to him. And also we see Jesus say that I have not come to set up a physical kingdom. I, he has come to set up a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And this is why we don't seek to make a government like the old theistic monarchy that they had in the Old Testament. We're not seeking to set up this monarchy line and try to figure out who's in the line of David and what, what's going on and then, then have that type of judicial system. And, and think about it, if Jesus, uh, you know, in his life, death, and resurrection has done what needed to be done as required by the Old Testament, has he done that? Has he accomplished what that system sought to fulfill? Also think about what does the New Testament say about that section of the Old Testament? And if you didn't know this, there are footnotes in your Bible, and if you're reading the Old Testament and you see a footnote to the New Testament cross-reference, it might be a good thing to check out as you're reading it because it might bring you greater understanding. You know, the key to a good sermon is talking about footnotes, right? You know, right? All right. Tough, tough crowd out there. Tough crowd. All right. Um, so, so we see these are some of the keys, you know, letting Scripture interpret Scripture, you know. These are just a couple of helpful tools when looking at the Old Testament. But generally speaking, the Old Testament morality still applies to us, and we should still seek to follow what the Old Testament demands from us. 
And I think this can be intimidating for many of us. One, because we might not be familiar with the Old Testament, but also because of the challenges of interpretation with it. And we've talked about that a little bit. Um, but ultimately, what Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 is that the basis for all of the Old Testament, all the rules and the prophets, is loving God and loving others. That is what he says the basis of all it is. So, so, and what we also see is that we see the law is about loving God and loving others and the prophets, what they're really doing is they're calling out Israel for not following that. They're saying, you need to get back to what God has called us to as a nation. And they're, they're not really expanding or making any new laws, really. They're just saying, hey, this is what, the, what uh, the Bible says, and you need to follow it. That's really what the prophets are doing. Um, so so that's, that's what we see about the Old Testament. The prophets not adding anything, just calling out Israel and its rebellion. And if you're looking to take a practical step, um, you know, to, to read the Old Testament if you've never read it before, I'd encourage you to read, you know, something like Exodus 20, which just goes through the Ten Commandments. And it, it breaks down for us what loving God and loving others looks like very briefly. Um, so, so read that this week, I would encourage you to do, because I think this will go well, especially with our next couple of sermons. It will really pair well and help you understand what Jesus is trying to say there as well. And so, so as you're examining what the Old Testament says and, and the morality lined up in it, I think you, what you'll see is that if I'm seeking to follow them with all my heart and all my, my strength and everything like that, then I, it might feel like you can't do it, right? That it's impossible to do. Um, you know, if we think about simple things like coveting, right, I think this is a common sin that we don't focus on a lot. You know, if you're obsessing about what someone else has, what your friend has, what you see someone else has on social media, and that real desire that, man, I really wish I had that, and not being content with what God has for you, we see that all the time. We do that all the time. I'm guilty of that myself. Um, but, but what we're doing there is we're sinning, and it can be hard to stop things like that, right? You can be like, well, how do I stop my desire to do this thing, right? How can we stop that? Um, it's not easy. Um, it's, n- it's not easy. Um, but, th- but this brings us right to point number three. We need to strive to be righteous. Clearly, Jesus has a high bar for his followers. They're, they're, you know, he lines out, you know, to enter the kingdom of heaven, we must be more righteous than the Pharisees, okay? And, and you know, thinking about what I've said about the Pharisees already, they're, they're weighing the amount of, like, fruit that they're carrying on, on the Sabbath and things like that. How do we expand upon that? How do we, ex- how do we exceed the righteous of guys who are tithing their spices, giving them to the church of their day? Um, how, how do we exceed that? Um, and what we need to think about, it's that because they were making up these silly additions to what the Old Testament says, that they were focused on the external, right? Because they just wanted to be busy with these things and focusing on how they can apply them rather than actually thinking about the heart of why they're doing what they're doing. Their giving and tithing to the church was about, you know, showing off and showing that they follow it and doing it externally. It wasn't about giving their first and their best to God, which what it should have been about. Um, so, so the Pharisees and scribes are actually lowering the bar by adding these silly additions, okay? They're lowering the bar because they're not seeking to change the heart. They're only seeking to change the external actions. And, and so we as a church need to seek to be righteous. This is what Jesus is calling us to here. We need to be set apart in how we act. And, and like I've said, this is serious and this is, this is tough. This is hard. 
Um, I know myself that sometimes it feels so much easier to do the wrong thing than to do the right thing, right? We can think, okay, well, if I just lie here, this is going to make my life so much easier. Nobody needs to know. It's just going to cause less conflict, so I'm going to do it, right? And there are so many times in the moment that the thing that is wrong will either feel better in the moment, it seems more fun, and it can be easier than doing the right thing. I think we can all relate to that. I think we've all had that experience. But, but what Jesus is saying here, that we need to seek to be righteous because Jesus has called us to something greater than those short-term things. He's called us to a high standard to, and seek to live that out. And like we talked about last week, we, we, need to, we need to act righteously not only because it's the right thing to do and what God has called us to do, but also these, these actions should cause the world around us to ask, what is going on there? What is happening? Why are these people acting differently? And, and, and we can then tell them it's about the good news of Jesus. And, and like I said before, sometimes this seems impossible to live up the, 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 the standard. If I'm going to externally follow it and internally follow the things God has called me to do, it seems impossible for us. And this is exactly what Paul says in Romans 7, that, that you know, the law it helps us to see our sin and, and see where we fall short. And if you're here today and you, you feel that weight of your sin, and if you feel that, you know, that you know, God doing something there, I think that's a good thing, that God is, is working in you. But we also see that we don't just need to feel bad about ourselves because we're not living up to the standard God has for us. We don't just need to, to wallow over and over again as, as, as we're seeking to be righteous, okay? We have good news, right? We, we're not saved by following this list of rules. We're not saved by, by always being righteous, right? We want to seek to do that, but that's not what saves us, you know? We know that repenting and believing in Jesus is what saves us. We are saved by grace through faith, not by our external actions. Yes, those are important, but, but that's not what saves us. You know, and, and if you are feeling that weight of your sin today, we would say now is the time to repent and believe in Jesus. There is no better time than now to do this. Um, and, and, you know, if you've never done that, talk to me, talk to a staff member about that, and we'd love to dialogue with that, about that with you. Um, and I know that this can be confusing, okay? You're talking about Old Testament, you're talking about we need to be righteous, but there's also grace, and it seems like sometimes that can be a conflict with one another. But I think the key to understanding grace and righteousness is that our striving to be righteous needs to be a response to the free grace and faith that God gives us. So I'll say that again. The key to our striving in righteousness needs to be out of a response and to the free grace and faith that God gives us. Okay? We're not just trying to white-knuckle it on our own. Okay? We know that when God gives us faith that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to change. And, and God's not just going to hang us out to dry, but the Bible tells us that he is going to make us into a new creation, that he's not going to hang us out to, to dry. And, and we, know, we know that this is a process, that we need training in righteousness. It's not just an automatic, like, you know, you, you, you get saved and then you're there, and, and, you know, you're just living it out perfectly. That's not the way we see it in the Bible. We see that, you know, even Peter, when he's leading the church, that he doesn't even always do it right. You know, we see Paul call him out for certain things. So, so we need the new heart that God is giving us uh, before we can try to really live out this righteousness because it's a weight we cannot bear if we are not empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this, okay? So like I said earlier, if you have not repented and believed, then now is the time, you know? We can't do this if we have not done that first. 
So like I said earlier, with my three main points, I have three application questions for us. And, and, and as we go out, when we have application questions for you, we don't want you to just write them down or think about them one-off. We want you to think about them and discuss them with others and, and try to seek to live out what we think God is calling us to do in the sermon. And so my first question is, do you see the Old Testament as pointing to Jesus? Do you see the Old Testament as pointing to Jesus? So as we're reading the Old Testament in our context, we need to identify how it is pointing to Jesus. That's one of the key things we need to look at as we're reading the Old Testament. Like, like I said with the painting, right? We, will only, we don't want to only look at the small dots. We want to look at the full picture that we have. Um, and I hope that this look at the Old Testament brings freshness as you're reading it. Um, you know, because I think when we see how the New Testament and the Old Testament connect, we will really grow in our faith and our understanding of who God is. Question number two, are you reading the Old Testament and trying to apply it to your life? Okay, like I said earlier, I'm just challenging you to read it. And this is not to embarrass you if you haven't read it or try to make you feel guilty, but as an understanding that some of us are younger believers, we need to do this. And, and, I, and just we need to read the whole Bible and not just part of it. And, and in fact, the Old Testament is about two-thirds of your Bible, actually. Um, but we need, as a church, we need to read it and we need to seek to apply it to our life, okay? And, and I know certain sections are harder than others, uh, but I like, like I said earlier, that's why I have question number one. Are, are we looking at it through the lens of Jesus? Because this can help us as we're struggling through this. Um, and, and we need to realize that sometimes Old Testament passages might, the application for us might just be recognition of the holiness and the goodness and purity of God, okay? There's a whole list of laws that are called purity laws. And they're about, you know, different sicknesses, what do you do, and staying clean, and different things like that. And so you might be, okay, I see, you know, you get leprosy, stay outside the camp, don't get other people sick, right? I mean, yes, that's true. That is probably one of the reasons why. But I think also this is supposed to point us to the fact that Christ is our spotless sacrifice. It's not just, uh, you know, a practical law, although it does have that effect. There is more to it. And so we need to seek to apply and understand how it relates to us in our lives today. Like I said earlier, do this in community. Don't do this alone. Don't isolate yourself as you're reading the Bible. Do it with other people around you. And, you know, if you still have questions, I'm sure it would be so exciting for our staff if, if, if you guys came up to us and were like, man, I'm reading this section of the Old Testament, and I have a question about it. I, that would be great. We would love to do that, and we would love to have those conversations with you. That is why we're here, to serve you guys. Question number three. In light of the gospel, are you seeking to be righteous? In light of the gospel, are you seeking to be righteous? Are we striving to be more like Christ, who was sinless and perfect and righteous, who perfectly followed the Old Testament? And we need to understand that this won't all happen at once, okay? I don't want you to get discouraged because you're still struggling with something, or you're still going through something, but, but that's, that's why we're here together, to stir one another to good works and help each other as we, we're falling down, right? Um, and like I said, we don't earn our salvation. It's not, Christianity is not paid to play, right? We, we are given grace by God, okay? But we also need to understand that we need to steward our lives well and seek to live out what God has called us to, right? We, we know that, that we need to do this in light of the gospel. That is the key to this. We, I don't want you to hear this and say, I just need to be better and live out a more holy life, and then God will, 
God will understand me, right? That's not what I want you to walk away with. What I want you to walk away with is that if you understand the gospel and you believe in Jesus, then this gives us the freedom to live this out, not the restriction to uh, just follow a bunch of rules. But we have the freedom to follow this because we're no longer enslaved to our sin. And this, this should be a freeing thing to us. It should not be a heavy burden because we know that the, the perfect sacrifice of Christ is covering our sins and we have grace for that. So the striving in, to live in righteousness is not about guilt tripping us, but to call those of us who have repented and believed in Christ to live out what he's called us to do. Because we, being in this new covenant, being in this, this Christ context, we have a better perspective on, uh, than the people who lived in the Old Testament. We can see the full picture. We can see the beauty of the plan that God was playing out in the Old Testament. We can see that Jesus is the creator in Genesis. We can see that Jesus is the better Abraham who always had faith. We can see that Jesus is the better Moses who leads us out of our spiritual slavery. And we can see that Jesus is the better David whose reign is eternal. Jesus is better than the Old Testament. This covenant is better, and it's full of grace for us. So let us strive to be a church that lives this out, lives out God's commands for us, and a church that values how awesome God is, and a church that stirs up one another to love and good works. Let's pray. God, we just thank you, Jesus, for, for coming down as a man. We, we're so thankful for that, and we're so thankful for you showing us the meaning of the Old Testament, for giving us that full picture, Lord. And just as, as we're, we're talking about you and how you fulfill the law today, Lord, I just pray that... Um, I just pray that people would come to know you, Lord, people that have not repented and believed. We just ask in Jesus' name that, that they would come to know you, that they would come to know the freedom of the grace of the gospel, and then out of that motivation that they would seek to follow you and that they would understand that Christ is the king of their lives, Lord. Um, you know, I just pray that we would, we would value the Old Testament as a church, that we would see that it is inspired and is an authoritative over our lives and that it brings to bear weight for us even today. Uh, and I pray that we would be a people who sees Jesus in the Old Testament, that we would see how it relates to Jesus, that we would, would look at it through that lens as we're studying it, that this would bring freshness to our reading of the Bible, God. Yeah, and I pray that we would seek to read the whole Bible and understand it together, that we would be in community and we would stir up one another to good works, that we would love one another throughout that process, Lord. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen.